0: Hi, and welcome to Listening to Leaders. This is Nathan Harrington, and in Episode 8, I'm so honored to bring you a conversation with Austin Davis-Ruiz. Currently, Austin works as the Community Engagement Manager for Harris County Precinct 4, leading a team that fosters community development and executes the vision of Commissioner Leslie Briones. He extends his advocacy work as the president of the Houston LGBTQ Political Caucus, which is the South's oldest nonpartisan LGBTQ civil rights organization. A proud Houston native, Austin holds a double major in theater studies and public policy studies from Duke University. His career path includes significant roles at Young Audiences of Houston and the Montrose Center. We covered a lot of ground in this conversation. And y'all, I was so touched by Austin's extraordinary generosity and vulnerability in the conversation. As you'll hear in the second half of the episode, Austin really opens up about his mental health journey and the significant role that therapy has played in his personal growth and capacity to serve. Thus, R&R, in this context, doesn't mean rest and relaxation, but rather rest and reflection, which is a big part of what therapy is all about. We explore the importance of granting oneself grace and space, the challenges of seeking therapy, the real possibility for emotional healing, And how all of these experiences can ultimately enhance our capacity for listening and kindness. Please enjoy my conversation with Austin Davis-Brees. We're good. I've got a LaCroix. Oh, by the way, they responded to my post. I posted that they have like unlimited LaCroix here. Uh Uh-huh. That I tagged LaCroix and they responded, love it. It's not like Beyonce responded. Oh my God, I would die. (laughs) I know, right? I'm trying to think if I've, I feel like I've had, I've never had any like full on celebrities respond to anything. Yeah, I don't really think that I have either. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But
0: you're, an elite gay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> according to the internet. Yeah. According to that one person that was recruiting people for her clients at one matchmaker. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's so funny. I'm
1: going to keep this right here just so I keep this on time. Yeah, you're good. My uh, other favorite nomer is uh, Daddy's favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, the, I don't know if you... Did you see that post that I posted on Absolutely. my... Uh, yes. Absolutely, yeah, 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 I just thought it was hilarious. Like, yeah. who was his daddy? Like, I don't understand. <laughs>
0: Man, that's not for you to understand. <laughs> Right, exactly. Yeah, it's like, if you don't get it, it's... You're probably not going to. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for doing this. It really... I'm just like, so, 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 so grateful to have you. Yeah, of course. And So, let's see. We're going to start with... Uh, What do you want to say? So, okay, let me just say this. So we're gonna, at this point, I will have already introduced you. Okay. Right. I'll kind of say like your, your work background, your academic background, like that. So beyond that, what do you want? folks to know about you. Uh, Where are you from? Yeah.
1: So I'm a native born Houstonian, Mm -hmm. so I lived here my whole life. Mm -hmm. I grew up in near Northside, which is one of like the last kind of undeveloped parts of the city. Okay. Very Latino neighborhood. So it's kind of sandwiched between all the freeways. So it's between 45, 59, 69. 610 is at the top and then I10 is like at the bottom. So it's like this oh, little uh-huh. rectangle, yeah, like just north of downtown. So mm-hmm. like if you know like White Oak Music Hall in that area, mm-hmm. so like that's where I grew up. Wow. So native born Houstonian, uh, went to River Oaks Elementary, Lanier Middle School, Lamar High School. So that kind of little triangle in the River Oaks area. Yep. And yeah, I spent most of my time there. Uh, I mean, I did, got all kinds of shit when I was in high school. Debate, theater, orchestra, like all all kinds of stuff. Went away to college in North Carolina. Yep. Came back. And originally I thought that I wasn't going to be here for that long. It was like, oh, I'll move to D.C. or New York or wherever. Yeah. And then I, you know, couldn't really find a job. So started looking for stuff here. Yep. Found one, and then I've been here since. Yeah, and young
0: audiences, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. young
1: audiences, yeah. By way of mm. my best friend Stephen Miranda, he had sent me the job posting. Oh, okay, I like, yeah, I know Stephen. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we went to middle school with each other. We've known oh. each other for far too long. Wow. Wow. <laughs> cool. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean that's the thing. I I didn't really think that Houston was going to be where I landed after college, uh-huh. and yet it is exactly where I needed to be. Mm-hmm. I think, especially mm-hmm. just the way that my professional career has kind of taken off, especially getting into the activist kind of political space. Yep. Sure, I think that that could have been possible in New York or DC, but like would I necessarily have gone that way as hard as I am here? Mm. Probably not mm. because like in New York and DC, you know, we don't really have the same issues there in terms of kind of civil rights, equality, right, as yeah. we do here in Texas. Yeah, 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 yeah. So think... Not at the
0: level that we have here for sure. Right, right, exactly.
1: <clears throat> and so I think for me, You know, looking back, it definitely makes sense. And I think that it was the perfect place for me to land was back home here in Houston.
0: Yeah, so with what you studied at Duke, Mm -hmm. did you think that that was going to lead to politics at some point? Like public policy? Theater, actually, I don't... I think that... I can see a connection between that and politics yeah. in a way, right? <laughs> right? Like being being sort of like the face of stuff, like yeah. being at the front of a room, being at sort of the voice of something, Public right? speaking, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Where no, did you think that was going to go?
1: Yeah, so I'll be honest. I, I really thought that I was actually going to go into the performing arts. Okay. So mm-hmm. obviously Duke is not known for their theater program. However, they do have one of the oldest student run organizations in the country. So it's the oldest uh, student run musical theater group in the South uh, called Hoof and Horn. And we turned 80 my senior year when I was there at Duke. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, so it'd been around for a very long time. I totally thought that I was gonna like, you know, go into performing arts, join a dance group, like do performance full time, like, you know, plays, musicals, whatever. And that was, like, what I was kind of setting myself up for. And that's
0: why, like, New York was on your radar. exactly. Or even
1: D.C., because I thought D.C., I had interned there for a summer in 2016 at a theater company. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like, they have such a rich, vibrant art scene. And it's just a great town. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I loved it. And so I was like, oh, I can, you know, maybe do, you know, uh, community work or I can, you know, do development or something for a theater company or, like, Uh marketing, something like, anything kind of within the realm of, you know, theater, Uh but really just supporting the theater rather than actually performing. So that's kind of why I thought New York or DC, I I did not at any point have expectations of like going into politics. Uh The public policy really was for my parents because when I went to Duke, (laughs) Uh Uh they were like, we are not going to pay for you to go to a school like Duke uh-huh. and only get a theater degree. Right. So right. originally <clears throat> I thought I was going to get a double with theater and econ. OK. I flunked out of two of the intro courses. OK. <laughs> <laughs> so it
0: started off real great.
1: And I had one of my friends, Andrew Jacobs, who I'm still good friends with. Uh-huh. We were talking and he was a year above me. And he was like, you know, why don't you try public policy? Like a lot of hoof and people do that. You right. know, a lot of people that don't want to do econ, but still want to kind of be in that you know, political science realm do public policy Mm -hmm. Duke because one of the best like uh, graduate uh, programs for public policy, Mm -hmm. if you really wanted to continue on. So like do it. And that's kind of where I landed and how I got to public Mm -hmm. policy. And Did you like
0: it? Was it interesting? Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, totally. So like coming from the kind of debate background and like having all of that experience, Mm -hmm. being in tune to politics, being aware of current issues. For me, it was naturally kind of tapping into those interests that I had Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, tucked away to pursue theater, performing arts, stands, like all of that. Mm. And so for me, it was like a uh, re-ignition of those passions, Mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. And I had some amazing professors in Mm. the the public policy department at Duke. I mean, just like top-notch, really thoughtful and intriguing discussions about, you know, everything from how do we solve this, you know, issue of traffic in a a major city to, Mm. you know, what are the ethics of, you know, passing said policy, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, it was super interesting. And I think that that was kind of a, a saving grace, ultimately, to kind of help guide me back into this, like, realm of politics. Nice. Now. Yeah. Very
0: interesting. Yeah. Huh. And so now you're at Precinct 4?
1: Yes. So so
0: I-, t- so I have to tell you, like, I've been researching a little bit. So for, could you, like, educate people? Like, what is what is the what do the precincts do? Like, you probably, like, have to say a little bit about, like, what counties do versus cities right. and then precinct four and just kind of educate us on that.
1: Yeah. Way. So, per the Texas Constitution, mm-hmm. every county throughout Texas is run by five people. Mm-hmm. There is a county judge that oversees kind of the entire county. Yeah. And then there are— Hinojosa, f- right? Uh, judge Lena yeah. Hidalgo is Hidalgo. for us. Hidalgo. Yes. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she is the one uh, who's elected for our county judge position here in Harris County. And then outside of the county judge, you have four commissioners. Mm -hmm. Each of those commissioners essentially oversees... A precinct, also, you know, you could call it a district, a region, you yeah. know, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Call precinct. The right? name is arbitrary. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But think of it like a district, right? So yeah. it's very similar to like a city council district in which one elected official is representing that area. Yeah. Right. And so in our county, we have four different precincts. And I work for uh, Harris County Commissioner Leslie Briones, who mm-hmm. oversees precinct four. Yep. Essentially what the county commissioners are in charge of, you know, representing their constituents, uh, making sure that their voices, their input, their desires, wants, needs are, you know, accounted for mm-hmm. in terms of what we then try to enact at commissioner's court. Mm-hmm. Commissioner's court uh, meets every uh, like third Tuesday of the month. Mm-hmm. And so uh what we do at Commissioner's Court is we pass, you know, policy legislation, approving contracts for projects throughout the county. Really, kind of like the nuts and bolts of keeping the county working. Brilliant. So, what does that kind of look like in terms of like what we actually do for constituents? Right. Say a constituent has, you know, uh, noticed that there's a pothole on a road that we have maintenance of. Right. Mm-hmm. They can send that to us. We put in the work order. We take care of that. Right. Going a little bit deeper, let's talk about flooding because that's such like a huge thing. Yeah, it's a huge issue in Houston, right? Bear Creek region, which is in Precinct Four, really hard hit by Harvey. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do we do to mitigate that in the future? Well, that means that we have to do you know some improvement projects to improve drainage in the area. So that way, all of that water can, you know, drain out of the area quickly Mm -hmm. without actually causing massive flooding, right? Mm -hmm. And so we just had a groundbreaking couple of uh, weeks ago, maybe about over a month ago at this point to kind of kick off this really large improvement project to hopefully improve the drainage in the Bear Creek region. Mm -hmm. So that way those constituents don't flood so often. Or if in case there is a Harvey, it's not as bad as it was previously, Mm -hmm. right? Right. So those are the types of things that the precinct and the county commissioners and their staff are really responsible for, is really looking at kind of what the needs are, doing needs assessments throughout different regions of the precinct, and just seeing how we can meet those constituent needs at mm-hmm. the end of the day.
0: Cool, so there's a lot of, sounds like a lot of infrastructure. Mm-hmm. You're the community engagement manager? Yes. Or, okay, so yes. what is that involved with infrastructure? That sounds like something completely different to me.
1: Yeah, so my role is under the community engagement and government affairs division. Okay. And So that's one of the many divisions that we have. Infrastructure is also one, policy is one, admin is one. Okay. So we have different kind of divisions that take care of different things, right? And so, my role in community engagement is really to community build, to mm-hmm. talk to constituents, right? Figure out what their concerns are, mm-hmm. and how we do that is I manage a team of community engagement coordinators. Okay, they go out to HOA meetings, civic club meetings, mm-hmm. you know, to uh, mud meetings, uh, all different kinds of community events, wherever
0: the community is gathering. Exactly. Already.
1: Yeah, okay. yeah. Super neighborhoods, you know, management districts, all of that stuff. Wherever the community is already gathering. To, one, have a presence there to show Mm. them that, you know, we are here to serve you, to help you, to meet Mm. your needs, right? Mm. But then also to listen to constituent needs directly and Mm. then to report that back to the office, right? So there's no better way to hear about what constituents want than by joining them in their communities and meeting them where they're at Mm. to really... One, build those deep, intimate connections, but then two, to really understand their communities better and figure out what it is that they actually need, right? Yeah. Yeah. We can have an idea based on what we are perceiving, what right. we're observing, right? Yeah. Yeah. But really the best people to tell us what they need is going to be the constituents themselves, yeah. right? And so I send out my team to different community events. They kind of you know do all that community building work bring that back. We, you know, send that up the chain as appropriate. And, you know, that's kind of how we have that back and forth of knowledge sharing mm-hmm. in order to really figure out what improvement projects we're going to start, you know, what policies we need to enact, you know, at commissioner's court. And so that's kind of a little bit more about what my role and is and how that really fits into the the bigger precinct.
0: Very cool. So, yeah. and then, I mean, first of all, I'll just say like, like it sounds like your job is to go and listen to people or to have your team go and listen to people, right. which is like the podcast, right? Yeah. Listening to leaders. So I uh, yeah. love that. And then, so what's something you're working on right now with them that is exciting to you? So
1: for me uh, specifically, yeah. so we passed at Commissioner's Court in June. Mm-hmm. The uh, first... Creation of an LGBTQIA plus commission for the county. No way. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, one of the commissioner's like biggest kind of priorities. Okay. She is so supportive of the LGBTQ plus community Mm -hmm. and really wanted to deliver this kind of new commission during Pride Month. What Mm -hmm. better way to do it, right? Mm -hmm. And so right now we are looking at candidates that we could appoint to this commission, and the commission would be in charge of figuring things out, you know, to improve the lives of not just LGBTQIA plus residents Mm -hmm. but also you know all harris county residents right so looking at things like you know equity healthcare access Mm non-discrimination you know all of those kind of things that we normally think about again with an lgbtqia plus focus but also just l- looking more holistically at, mm. you know, equity and equality for the county in general. Yeah,
0: yeah, And yeah. so
1: that's that's one of the biggest things that we're working on right now. It's still very new. Mm. It's going to be the first time that we've had any kind of LGBTQ plus specific commission for the county. Mm. Um, and it's
0: for all of Harris County. Yes. But Leslie or... Commissioner is uh sort of spearheaded it. Yes, yeah, uh-huh. it was it
1: was her brainchild. She's uh-huh. the one that kind of brought it forth to Commissioner's Court, uh-huh. and so you know we're we're really excited to be able to move forward and and see how we can make Harris County really a better place for everybody.
0: That's so cool. Yeah. So random parentheses. So precinct four is like a big part of like super far west Houston. Yes. But then it has this kind of weird like shape that then comes all the way inside the loop. Yeah, What's what we the... call the boot. <laughs> yeah, I was actually, like, like, when I was looking at the map, I was like, that's like a tail or a, yeah, yeah. the boot. So where where inside the loop does it cover? Because so, I care about inside the loop. Yeah, inside kidding. the
1: loop. So it's uh, like the Timber Grove kind of greater heights area. So it's yeah. like TC Gesture, yeah. right? All yeah. of that comes in it has like a little bit of upper kirby okay it goes through to now coming outside the loop to like uptown west chase right uh-huh. yeah and then there's like a little bit of spring branch east spring branch west and that is spring branch central right Gulfton, uh a leaf sharpstown a little bit of myerland at the okay. very bottom okay. and then it starts to swing out towards katie tomball waller hockley like all of that area so wow. it's a it's a very Big landmass. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. in our precinct we have about 1.2 million constituents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, and wow. yeah, it's just it's it's wildly big.
0: Yeah, and pretty diverse. Yeah, yeah. Like you have a lot of different socioeconomic statuses there. Yes. Types you know, of neighborhoods. Yeah,
1: I mean, we have you know immigrant populations in like the Gulton, A-Leaf area, right. and then we have you know kind of the upper class and the you know uh, Upper Kirby kind of Heights area, right? go out towards Tomball, Hockley, start to get more rural communities. Mm -hmm. And so certainly, yes, we do have a very good, diverse constituency, uh, both in terms of socioeconomics, politics, Mm -hmm. you know, race, ethnicity, backgrounds, nationality. We kind of, I think, have a swath of just about everybody.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's incredible. That's like when you say 1.2 million, that's kind of like a daunting number to think about, like, listening to all of those people <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah, like finding out like what's important to people and
1: yeah I- and certainly part of the challenge is uh commissioner brown is unsat commissioner cagle who's there for for many 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 years mm-hmm. and so certainly you know part of our work is now one engaging with communities that have historically never been engaged with mm-hmm. by the precinct yeah right but then also trying to engage with the communities that were mostly catered to and served by the precinct in the past. Right. Uh Yeah. And so trying to figure out how to kind of bridge those gaps, really kind of, you know, cross the aisle, if you will, uh, and figuring out how we can really deliver for the constituents. Right. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. although Commissioner Brion has ran, you know, as a Democrat, right, we have a duty to serve all of our constituents, Absolutely. regardless of their political ideologies, right? Yep. Regardless of their race, of their gender, sexual orientation, you know, background, all of that stuff. Yeah. We are here to serve them. And so we have to figure out kind of how to bridge those gaps and again, meet people where they're at. Mm. So it's yeah. been it's been really exciting the last couple of months, but also it's a very big learning curve, you know.
0: Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like. Three months in? Four months in? You know? uh, a little over two months, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. So you know everything that there is to know about the job, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, ask me anything. <laughs> so, okay, yeah, Here's and AMA is, uh, do you know anything about the demographics of the LGBTQI plus community in Precinct 4? Because you don't really cover any of Montrose, right? Yeah, no, we but don't. But we're everywhere now, so. <laughs> yeah, you know
1: that—that's w- a really good question. Uh-huh. I don't know any specifics on that, uh-huh. but I—I'm I, sure that we have something somewhere. Yeah. But yeah, to your point, I mean, we'll and cut this part if it's no, no, that's okay. But <laughs> go ahead. No, but to your point, I mean, LGBTQ people used to live just in Montrose, right? Right. You know, back in the late '70s, early '80s, right? Yeah. Now, flash forward to 2000, you know, 23. We feel really comfortable to live in all parts of the city right yeah. and so we don't need to that specific neighborhood anymore and so yeah. i think that that's actually a, a good thing right yeah, it's brilliant that we've been able to see people kind of move out of the Montrose neighborhood and still be able to thrive
0: yep and mm. be
1: their authentic selves and yeah. you know come every day fully as themselves right and yeah. so yeah i mean that's one of the beautiful things about harris county is that we we do have you know, such diversity all across and LGBTQ people do live in all communities. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Which is kind of why, like, that commission has to sort of include everyone in a way. Right. It's like looking through the lens of the LGBTQ plus community, but you can't separate that from the rest of the county, especially now. right? Right. Like If you were just talking about Montrose, fine. Like, that could be like kind of a singularly focused conversation yeah. but but yeah it's like if you know we're everywhere and our you know for the most part your neighbors are probably not yeah queer people right and so it has right. to be sort of a, an all-encompassing conversation yeah
1: so i'm really excited by that project specifically obviously it. yeah it's it's really near and dear to my heart yeah. of course yeah. as to you know the commissioners but yeah i'm really excited to see kind of what we can do for for our community and really for everybody in harris county
0: awesome awesome well thank you for uh, for doing that work yeah thank yeah. you so much yeah greetings listeners nathan here with a quick message and then we'll get right back to the show I'm so grateful you're tuning in and hope that listening to leaders is bringing you value and inspiration and a little bit of fun too. If you're finding this content useful and would like to help me continue producing more episodes, please consider making a monthly donation. Your support, no matter how small, can make a huge difference in helping cover production costs, upgrade equipment, and reach more people. To donate, simply click the link in the show notes and you can set up a monthly recurring donation your contribution will help me continue this work of inspiring and empowering listeners just like you thank you for being a part of our community and for your support and now back to the show so tell me about your leadership journey did like did you always like have sort of a passion for being at the front of stuff like did you know that the, that I know you know said that, like, you had no intention necessarily of winding up in politics. Yeah. Like, in terms of leading, how did that happen? You know, I think it was always something that I had in the back of my
1: mind. It was always, like, an idea that I stood on, right? Like, I remember being in high school and, like, being an officer of our National Honor Society, you know, being an officer for my theater group that I was a part of, uh-huh. uh, being president of the volunteer service club that I was a part of, Interact. And so like, I was, I guess, kind of put myself in these positions, right? Uh-huh, but yeah. it's also high school, you know? It's 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 pretty small stuff, right? Yeah. It's like in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. And then like, as I got to college, I think that that naturally started to come out a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I really started to take, you know, a leadership role in our productions, right, uh, for Hoof & Horn. I started to, you know, lead choreographies for the dance group that I was a part of. I joined the leadership team and it became an officer of the broadcasting group that I was in. Mm-hmm. And so I think, yeah, college and kind of high school was allowing me the space to kind of play with the idea of leadership and kind of mm-hmm. figure out my leadership style, role, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But it really wasn't until really, I would say the last like couple of years that I've really kind of grown into that, I would say, in a more professional sense. Mm-hmm. so, joining the caucus in 2019, you know, that kind of leading to me joining the leadership team in 2020, ultimately the board at the end of the year, becoming a leader in the LGBTQ plus community by way of my previous job at the Montrose Center. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's always been something that I've, you know, been kind of around and always mm-hmm. had in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't really until recently that I've, I've actually kind of Made it my full time career, if you will.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it sounds, tell me if it's kind of like this like it started off and it was kind of about just a way of participating, right? Yeah. It was like, what is it like to, you know, be on a council or whatever? And, and you, seem to like people and you don't mind being at the front of a room or whatever, right? Yeah, I'm not very shy. (laughs) Right, yeah, yeah. But there wasn't like, uh, I have some mission that I'm on or some difference I'm out to make, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was never that. Yeah. I wasn't like,
1: oh, I have to be student body president. and so I So that
0: we can, you know, pass all of this uh, policy or anything. Right. Like that, or yeah. so I
1: can get this really great job, you know, out of college. You know, it was never that kind of thing. Oh, right? uh-huh, yeah. Which some people, which, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing, right? Right. But, but some people are definitely like that. You know, they come into spaces knowing exactly what they want because they need it for this resume that they are trying to build so that way they mm. can get this next job or, the, you know. That was never me it was always just like a fun thing that i did Yeah, and i was like oh this is great i can contribute and participate yeah. even more yeah to yeah. this thing that i really am passionate about and that i really care about
0: that's great yeah and
1: that's so cool. now again it's transitioning to becoming my full-time career yeah <laughs> yeah
0: yeah yeah so what if you had to then say like well i'll just say it so what would you say your leadership philosophy is definitely and this sounds a little corny listening to
1: everybody One of the biggest things I learned in my very first job working retail at a Gap was that people really just want to be heard.
0: I love that you worked at the Gap.
1: (laughs) Gay and proud.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was my first (laughs) time out of high school. But, you know,
1: whether it was a customer that was super nice and like that you always saw every week that, you know, they were regular or whether it was somebody that came in that was like super irate and really upset about something. Mm. At the end of the day they all just want to be heard, right? And people in other spaces are really no different. And Mm -hmm. so for me, such an integral part to my leadership philosophy is listening to people, making sure at the end of the day that they feel like whenever they're talking to me, they are actually going to get, one, my attention, but that two, I'm actually going to consider whatever it is that they're saying, Mm. right? I think that if people go into conversations with any kind of walls up or Mm -hmm. like if they're really dismissive of people's suggestions or ideologies, that's really not going to be productive for anybody at the end of the day. Mm. Like as a leader, it is your job to kind of cultivate that culture of togetherness, of unity, right? Mm -hmm. Of working towards a common goal or mission. And you can't do that if people don't feel like they're going to be heard when they're talking Mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. So that is, I think you know, the foundation for my leadership style is is really listening to people and engaging. The other thing that might also sound kind of corny or controversial, but shouldn't Uh is just kindness. Right. Like, I think that that's such a big part of especially now our activist spaces. Right. I think people are very quick to to get irate, to get upset, you know, to kind of double down and, you know, walk away from the conversation. But I really try and lead with kindness in most situations. Mm. I think people would say that <laughs> as as a leader in the caucus, uh. I think my leadership style can be a little curt <laughs> okay. sometimes. But yeah. I, I don't necessarily think that that directness or that bluntness always translates to a lack of kindness right no, i think if anything that can... those are
0: not mutually exclusive. right right yeah. exactly
1: and so i think that that's kind of the other thing too just being very direct with mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. and really just kind of petting out all the bullshit yeah. at the end of the day
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah i mean because you could make a case that it's not kind to be unclear right right i think it's Brene brown yes right? uh-huh clear is kind so. right so how do you how did you with listening specifically, how did you get there? Like how did you learn that? You know, I think it honestly
1: came from my theater background. Okay. Because in theater, right, the idea is that you are actively listening to your scene partner, right, or to whoever you're on stage with, yeah, right? Yeah. You're not just kind of waiting for them to stop talking so then you can say your line, uh-huh. right? there's Uh there's that energy exchange and that engagement that has to happen for it to be truly authentic right and for the Mm -hmm. audience to really buy in even so like you also on the flip side while you're having that interaction with whoever you're on stage with you're also listening to the audience's feedback to have that energy exchange right and Mm -hmm. so you have to really put yourself in that environment where you are not just listening to respond but you're listening to really pay attention to what they're saying right uh-huh, uh-huh. and so i think for me having that background honestly helped because i was in tuned and kind of already adjusted to having to actively listen and you know pay attention to people and generally be interested in what they're saying
0: mm-hmm. um, that's great yeah that's great yeah i mean i think one of the things that's really interesting about listening is that uh it's a really multi-dimensional phenomenon right and i can hear you like have I don't know, just what you said, right? Like you have the person that's in front of you, you have the audience, you have the environment. And if you develop yourself right, or practice, including all of those things, right? That you can see, see things about what's going on beyond just sort of what's happening in the foreground. Exactly, right? yeah. And I see that, I mean, I can see that translating to, Interacting with an upset customer or interacting with a community member who's upset about something, but there's all this background information mm-hmm. that uh, is relevant to whatever it is that they're saying. Yeah. It's a little bit like that.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I think that that definitely has kind of given me a strong foundation cool. in that listening and why maybe that's such a bigger part of my leadership philosophy than yeah. maybe some other people, right? Yeah. Just because that's that's been something that I've been having to do for God, since I was like 12, 13, uh-huh. something like
0: that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have you, this may be like a dead end. If it is, it's fine. Have you ever had an experience where you, you experienced really being heard, like really listened to?
1: Ooh, that is a very good question. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of a good example.
0: Yeah. Mentor or somebody that, a leader you've been inspired by.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I would say,
0: oh, why am I drawing a blank? It's okay. We can come back to it.
1: Yeah, let's come back to that.
0: Okay, no worries. We can cut that. Let's see. Okay, so listening. And then what was the second thing that you said? Oh, kindness. Yeah, kindness. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about that? Like, where did that come from?
1: I mean, I just think it's so easy to, at the end of the day, treat people with kindness and respect. Like yeah. it, it is really so bare minimum mm. to do that for another person. Mm. Again, coming back to the retail thing, I always would go above and beyond for customers that mm. were just baseline, yeah. nice. Like said hello <laughs> when I <laughs> greeted them, when they came in, like if I asked them if they needed any help or like uh. just polite in their response, like, no, I'm th- I'm good for right now, but thank you. Or like, yes, I do, right? I would always go above and beyond for those people. Yeah, And conversely, the people that were super nasty, like didn't say hello, didn't acknowledge me, like told me, you know, to leave them alone or whatever, right? like I, I would never be rude to them, yeah. but you know, I wasn't going to go above and beyond for them. Right. Yeah. You know, if yeah. we happened to have a discount code for that day that they weren't aware of, I wasn't going to just throw it on. <laughs> they weren't
0: going to find out about right, that. Exactly. They weren't going to find <laughs> out about
1: it. But the other person, oh my God, did you know that we have this 30% off today? <laughs> like, so, and that's the thing, like, it just takes so little just to mm-hmm. be border or just baseline nice to yeah. people and just respectful. Yeah. And so I think for me, that's a really big part of my philosophy. Like, you know, I, I certainly never want people to feel like I'm offending them or like they're excluded or like I'm being, you know, rude or derogatory, or anything like that. And I think it's just so easy to make people feel just that connection, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, again, you're going to back to the kind of old saying, you get more flies with honey than you do with vinegar, right? right. right? It is so true, I think, in all aspects yeah. of life.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, Clichés like that are clichés for a
1: reason, yes, right? Yes. They really
0: do express some some valuable truth.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of it also, coming back to the kindness aspect and kind of the customer service aspect, you know, it's just learning how to de-escalate situations, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, people are going to be, you know, upset about some things at some points. You know, they're going to be really impassioned and really invested, mm-hmm. and that's going to come out in the way that they're talking about this, right? Mm-hmm. If they are upset... You are not going to get them mm-hmm. to de-escalate and to come down if mm-hmm. you are meeting them with that same energy, right? You have to, to listen attentively and say, I, I totally understand what you're saying. Mm. You know, I hear you 100%. And you have to do that whole, you know, reflecting back it sounds like you're really upset about this thing because of X, Y, Z, right? Yeah. And that is really the way that you get people to, one, come back down, right? But then two, to really get them to meet you at the table, mm-hmm. to be able to figure out how to problem solve or to move forward in a situation. Mm. And so for me, I think that that's where that kind of comes from, mm-hmm. is just knowing that at the end of the day, you have to meet people where they're at. Mm. And if you're meeting them with the same intensity and anger and
0: fervor that they have,
1: maybe not gonna be the most productive situation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. I would say probably not. Um, Cool, okay, I love that. Okay, you said you wanted to talk about R&R.
1: Yes, yes. But not
0: what people think. (laughs) Right, it's not,
1: uh, you know, rest and relaxation. Uh It is rest and reflection. Yeah, tell me. Yeah, for me, I think so much of my journey within the last couple of years, yep. particularly with, you know, kind of my leadership style, is learning how to rest, right? Because right. if we're burnt out and we're, you know, completely tired, we can't show up for other people if we're not showing up for ourselves, yep. right? Yeah. So I think, you know, rest is definitely integral to that. But then the second part of that is reflection, right? Really being able to take a moment to take a step back and looking at yourself and saying, you know, okay, where can I improve? Where can I try and be better for myself? So that way, when I'm showing up in community, I'm really bringing my A game and I'm really able to, you know, give 120% right for everybody. Right. And so I think for me, a lot of that reflection has been going to therapy Mm -hmm. and has been working on my mental health and like making sure that I am taking care of myself. So that then I can take care of other people. Right.
0: Yeah. And Which so, happy anniversary, by the way. Oh, thank right? you. Yesterday was your three year yes, anniversary. Yes. I love that post. Yeah, yesterday <laughs> was my, my mental
1: health birthday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thank you. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, I think that that's been a lot of exploration for me mm-hmm. and really kind of figuring out about me and myself, mm-hmm. learning what makes me happy, what I need to feel rested. Right which is not going to be the same thing that you need and that you, you know, require to feel rested. Right. But just that idea of being able to take that step back for yourself, give yourself grace and space to, you know, rest, recover, reflect, and then using all of that when you finally do re-engage mm-hmm. to be better and to really serve your community
0: better. Yeah. So three years ago was we were in July of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. What was happening for you that that was then because that, was that your first time to ever do any sort of therapy? therapy yeah, like that? yeah, okay. that was my first time. So man,
1: man. yeah, well, I guess coming back a little bit further. So 2019, I went through a really bad breakup okay. with my first really significant boyfriend. Okay, all right, and uh, we were together for two years, and it's a long time, right? Especially at that point in my life. I mean, I just graduated college. I just been back to Houston. I was 23 when we met. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was like 22, about to turn 23. So like very, very young. And so for me, coming out of the other side of that relationship, you know, almost at 25, I felt like I didn't know who I was. I felt like so much of my identity was tied to that relationship. And, you know, now that that had been ripped away, what was I doing with my life? Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't really have a good sense of self. I didn't really have connection to community. I had my friends, but I didn't really have anything more than that. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it kind of led, you know, to this whole spiral of having almost like a you know midlife crisis, if you will, a quarter-life mm-hmm. crisis, yeah, so I was 25, <laughs> yeah. And so, I, you know, that also just led me to have really bad depression mm-hmm. uh, for you know quite some time. And so finally- Did you know you were depressed? I think I had an idea. Yeah, just because like I really had no motivation to do anything. Like Mm. my sleep schedule was completely off. Mm. I was definitely coping by using substances pretty heavily, Mm. alcohol, drugs. And I really, I think the big thing that was a wake up call for me, and I haven't really said this publicly to a lot Mm. of people, I had an overdose in the beginning of 2020 Mm. Mm. where I almost died. Mm. And so I think it really took me from the beginning of 2020, when that happened to July mm. to really understand that, like, I needed help mm. and like I needed to do something. Mm. Otherwise, you know, I might not be here tomorrow. Yeah. And so for me, therapy was that first step mm. in trying to, you know, pick up the pieces of myself and trying to figure out how to forge forward again while the whole world was kind of like burning down around right. us. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. And so, yeah, it was it was really important, I think, for me in that moment, mm. especially because there was so much uncertainty. Mm. I really needed just an anchor for myself yep. throughout all of the mess to really keep me grounded and to be able to show up authentically at work every day to deliver for my community.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Austin, just first of all, thank you for sharing that. I want you to know, like, I don't take it lightly, (laughs) your openness. And I, you know, I said this to you on the phone the other day, but I really, it's important to me that this podcast provide that for people. Do you know that leaders uh, get to be seen as human? And for two reasons, one is is so that leaders and the people that they lead can have a more human relationship. Right. Right? Not to let leaders off the hook for anything, but to create a more kind, compassionate, listening world. Right. Yeah. And then also for people to be able to, you know, look at leaders and go, oh, I could lead also. Right. Like there's things that happen in all of our past that have us go like, oh, okay, I guess that like eliminates me from being able to contribute at any higher level. Right? right. And even not even necessarily leadership, but to do anything that like is important to someone. So, yeah. so uh, thanks for just like putting all of that on the table. And when you said you wanted to talk about therapy, I was like, yes, like, <laughs> yes. Uh, Cause I've been in there, like I've been in and out of therapy. Like I went to my first therapist when I was 13 years old. Right. Oh, and wow. so, and yeah. that's provided so much for me. I've, Like, I see this definitely as, like, a point of privilege in my life that I grew up in a family where, you know, my dad, like, literally my dad said to me so many times, some of the healthiest people I know are in therapy, right? Mm -hmm. I know that's not the conversation for a lot of people in terms of families. (laughs) There's a, there's a, a, an Instagram account that I follow of this indian woman like india indian from india she's a comedian and like when she's like a, it's just her but her kid is talking to her off the camera Uh and she's like therapy what no that's for white people (laughs) (laughs) yes so i don't so i mean independent from like culture or anything like that any barriers like internal or external that you experienced in in getting yourself to therapy? Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, so coming back further, right? So that I I was talking, I started therapy in 2020 because something happened in 2019. Right. I was still in college in like 2015, 2016. I was definitely like very depressed. Yeah. And it was because I had like burnt myself out for the first years of college by like taking on too much. I mean, my sophomore year of college, I think I maybe got max like three and a half hours every night. Mm-hmm. of sleep
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: because I was, you know, going to class all day. And then I would go to, you know, hours and hours of theater rehearsal or of dance rehearsal. You know, in the evening, I wouldn't get to start studying until midnight. Mm-hmm. Right. And then would kind of stay up until four or five. Finally, mm-hmm. like, call it a night and then rinse for yeah. Right. And yeah. so I was super burnt out, really depressed. And I really had this moment of breakdown when I was studying abroad in Madrid. And I was like walking home from the bars one night, was at McDonald's, like ordering food and it was just like so overwhelmed with mm. emotion and sadness. Mm. And so when I got back to campus, I was like, I need to get into therapy. I need to do it. But I had all of these perceptions that that meant that I was a broken person or that, you know, mm. therapy was for people that were really awful and like really had a lot going on in their right. lives, you know? Right. And on top of that, in my family, Being Latino, Mm. our family did not really talk about emotions, right? There's this whole idea that men have to be strong and super machismo and, Mm. you know, they don't cry and, you know, all of these ideas, right? And then in my own family, we just never really talked about that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you were going through a hard time, like you just internalized that and bottled that down. Right. And that was it. Push through it. Exactly. <clears throat> and so for so long, I had this idea that like, that's what I needed to do. Mm. Bottle things up, just kind of put my head down and just keep pushing. Mm. And so finally, you know, coming into 2020, I realized that like, I needed the help, mm. right? And I think that a lot of people have a misperception about that. It is okay to ask for help. Mm -hmm. Right. That is that is actually what responsible, I think, healthy people do Mm -hmm. is they realize that they can't do things by themselves. Mm -hmm. And so they need to engage with outside support Mm -hmm. and outside Mm -hmm. assistance. Right. And so finally, it took, you know, uh, almost four years Mm -hmm. for me to finally get over those barriers, get over myself and just to take the plunge and die then.
0: Was there anything that happened that like like that had you get over yourself? I mean, was it just like the like sort of the overdose and the pandemic all of that just sort of brought you to your knees or did, what what happened Do you yeah know? I think that was definitely part of it right it was just uh-huh. like so
1: overwhelming but then also I was just like well clearly what I've been doing hasn't been working for me so like yeah. let's try something new right yeah. let's try yeah. and attack this from a different angle yeah and so I think it was more that just like well at this point like you know I'm willing to try anything mm. because what I've been doing has been working mm-hmm. and I think that was really kind of the kick that I needed I don't think that's there was any profound like a moment when you were like laying in
0: bed and... right yeah, yeah. <laughs> no there was nothing yeah. i was just
1: like you know thinking about this logically like it just doesn't make sense right insanity yeah. is repeated yeah behaviors expecting different results yeah this right? is gonna
0: just keep going this way yeah exactly i don't intervene in some new way and so i
1: think it was really just that kind of common sense thing mm. and i was like mm. well i mean maybe maybe there's a point to this right uh-huh. <laughs> maybe uh-huh. there's there's something to this
0: yeah Yeah. So, okay. Then, then you're in therapy. I kind of have two questions that want to come out at the same time. Uh, So The first one is like, how was it in the beginning? Right? Like, was it like your first session where you're like, yeah, fuck yeah, this is it. This is where I need to be. Or was it kind of like you, like it had to grow on you a little bit? Tell me about the beginning. Yeah,
1: well, admittedly, it was really difficult in the beginning because I started therapy with BetterHelp, which for people that don't know what that is, it's like a telehealth kind of service. Yep. You pay a monthly fee and you get, you know, uh, a session a week with your counselor, right? Yeah. Kind of expensive, actually. It was more yeah. expensive than what I thought. And it was like a 45-minute session. The thing about it is the counselor got assigned to for some reason, wasn't doing like video calls. They were only doing audio calls. And I remember my first session, they weren't able to do an audio call. And so I was literally just texting with them the entire time, which was Mm -hmm. very weird. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Yeah, because like half the time is spent really just typing and editing and then typing before you actually hit send. Yeah. And so I was just like, if this is therapy, I don't really know if this is for me. Mm -hmm. But I Mm -hmm. was like, let me give it a shot. We started doing the audio call thing, and that was definitely a little bit better. But okay. again, because it was telehealth, and like we hadn't really figured it out at that point, right? Yeah. There was like a huge lag, and like that was also really frustrating. Finally, I like stopped with BetterHelp for a few months, and I then came back to the therapist and was like, "Can I just see you through your private practice?" Right, right, right. Um, and so I started doing that with her, being able to do video calls. And like mm-hmm. that, it really kind of took off for me. And I was So like, the
0: therapist, like it wasn't a problem with the therapist herself. It was yeah. just kind of the format that y'all were using up until that
1: point. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, okay. But okay, cool. I think also the biggest thing, once we really started to dive in, I didn't realize quite how self-directed therapy was, ah. which was new for me. Yeah. I was thinking I'd like come in and therapist is like, okay, so we're going to talk about this, this, and this, based off of what you said. No, 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 no. It is completely self-guided. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. you come to the table with what you want to work on and what you want to talk about. And the therapist is really just there to help kind of guide you mm-hmm. to these realizations and to ask like those priding questions, but never, you know, directly saying, well, this is what's wrong with you or like this is the issue. Right. Right. Helping you kind of come to that on a natural understanding. Mm-hmm. And I think that for me was like the biggest Misconception uh-huh. about what therapy was and how it worked. Yeah. And then once I kind of got settled into that, I was like, OK, like this is exactly what I needed. Like, mm-hmm. this is so great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can see you like showing up like with your notebook to the first <laughs> session and being like, "I'm going to be a really good student," and yes. then it's just not that way at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> now it is like I definitely have a, a running
1: note that I've kept on my phone about like different things that you know.
0: Sure, but they're your insights, <laughs> right? right? Exactly. They're not like the lessons that you learned from that they taught you that day, or something exactly, like that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, what have been some of the the sort of biggest insights would have been some of the the biggest discoveries in your reflections
1: so for me i think the biggest thing is grace and space for myself mm-hmm. i am so willing to give that to other people and mm-hmm. i think i give so much of myself to other people mm-hmm. because i you know am in the community i'm an activist and working to better our community right mm-hmm. i give so much of myself to other people that it's okay for me to take space for me mm-hmm. right to take time away to take that time to rest. But then also I think to speak to myself compassionately, that's mm-hmm. been like the second biggest thing. Okay.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask, what does grace mean yeah, to you? As... I am I am very hard on
1: myself. I'm yep. a Virgo. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and as I discovered in therapy, I'm also a high-functioning, uh, anxious person, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. Like I use pressure and deadlines and like all of that to motivate me to yep. work. Yep. And so for me, one, it looks like telling myself it's okay to take a step back, right? Uh, So talking to myself compassionately. Like
0: literally stopping and saying that to yourself. Yes, like
1: literally saying like, Austin, like you can take space today to rest, Mm -hmm. right? Like, or maybe this thing didn't turn out that great, but you know what, that's okay. We've learned from it and we're gonna do better next time, right? And so literally just the ways in which I'm talking to myself internally with my internal monologue, Mm. like being more compassionate in that. But then also, yes, taking dedicated time in my schedule to rest Mm -hmm. and realizing that that doesn't mean that I'm not showing up for somebody else or that I should feel bad because I said Mm -hmm. no to this other thing that somebody wanted me to show up to. It's in my best interest to say no and to take space away, because if I don't, I'm not going to be able to continue showing up. Mm -hmm. Right. And so those have been, I think, the two biggest things is just giving myself that grace and space to like step away from the situation Mm -hmm. and rest but then also just realizing that I need to be more compassionate in the way that I'm talking to myself. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you have? So you're talking about like internal dialogue. How have you dealt with like co- competing dialogue? <laughs> right, like we all have like the committee. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> right, it's not just one voice in our heads, right? Like how, yeah. do, you, uh, how do you deal with that? You know, one of
1: the tricks that I learned with my first therapist uh-huh. from BetterHelp was putting a time limit on a thought right Mm. and so literally just saying yeah so literally saying like if this intrusive thought is coming up and like oh it's saying you know i'm not good enough i'm not going to be successful whatever it's just saying like okay i'm going to give this you know a minute of my day and we're going to indulge this thought for a minute Mm. and then after that we're moving on yeah right or conversely just saying we're not even going to entertain this lot today and just like pivot to something else yeah and so it's really difficult because obviously thoughts come in and out like sometimes it'll happen multiple times that you're this thing is you know that internal dialogue is computing right but always making a conscious effort to say i'm going to put that over here to the side Mm -hmm. and i'm going to continue to to focus on what's in front of me mm. and continue to work on that mm. which i think even rupaul has said this on drag race to many queens right uh-huh. it's that inner saboteur right and you yeah. have to be able to say like oh hey girl like okay i see you but like <laughs> you stay over there i'm going to continue working over here right yeah, yeah. and learning how to kind of quiet those intrusive thoughts and really just learn to not listen to them yeah at the end of the
0: day yeah yeah what's been the most challenging thing about going through that journey and it doesn't have to be like the superlative but yeah like what's been a challenging thing about yeah
1: i mean honestly the the most challenging thing has just been that like giving myself compassion Mm. and being compassionate to myself Mm. i've learned kind of throughout my therapy journey that you know because of family dynamics and because of you know what was happening when i was a kid that i didn't necessarily get the love and support that i needed Mm. and so little Austin didn't get that, which meant that adult Austin Mm. constantly doesn't believe that he is worthy of that. Mm. Right. Mm. And so for me, the challenge is really learning how, again, to be compassionate to myself, to tell myself that it's okay, that, Mm. you know, I'm not perfect or that I'm not crushing Mm. it in every day and every aspect of my life. Right. Mm. And really learning how to settle with that Mm. and to be okay with that. Mm. I think that's really been the biggest challenge for Mm. me is Mm. learning how to accept that I'm imperfect Mm. and that, you know, I'm doing my best and my best is going to
0: have to work for now. Yeah. 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 Cause it, is what you've got.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can continually strive to be better, but this yeah. is what I have for right now. Yeah. So, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to work with it and I have to learn to love it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because if not, and if I'm just continually resisting myself and my natural tendencies, you know, my natural behaviors, there's no way that I can get to the point that I want to get to. Right. Yeah. If I'm constantly pushing back on myself.
0: Totally. Yeah. One of my biggest life lessons has been that all of my suffering comes from arguing with reality, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? It comes from arguing with the reality of who I am. Right. Right. It comes with arguing with the reality of, you know, how other people are, how Mm -hmm. the world is. And so to let, let that go and sort of being able to be with, accept, embrace like how I am, how life is, now, it's kind of counterintuitive because because that actually is the access point to creating something new, right? Right. To improving, to uh, taking things to the next level. But you can actually, it's actually possible, not necessarily easy, right? But it is possible to have moving into your best self, however you want to put it, be empowering, exciting, inspiring. Right. But it doesn't get to be that way. If you're like arguing, mm-hmm. that you really know you're a piece of shit. And, you know, somehow you've got to push through being a piece of shit to, to be better. Right? right.
1: Yeah. Everything starts with that acceptance, right? Yeah. That acknowledgement of kind of where you're at, your mm-hmm. current circumstance. Mm. And yes, you understand and you have the goal that you want to be better and that you want to get to this point B, right? Yeah. But that starts with acknowledging that you're currently at point A. Yeah. And if you,
0: again, like you said, keep resisting that, there's no way that you're going to be able to improve. Totally. It's like if you're looking at a map and you don't know where you are on the map, there's yeah. no way there that you can get to the point that you want to go. Exactly. To. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's great. I had something else I was going to ask you about that. I literally, every interview, I have a point where I go, oh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> and then Tim, my my production guy, will just cut it. Also, I do or... finally have an answer to that question. Oh, good. Yay. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> then we can just leave that fart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. yeah.
1: <laughs> So, okay, so you had asked earlier about a moment when I felt, like, genuinely seen or heard, right? Yeah, and I think yeah. for me, the first moment was really in high school with my coming out experience, right? Mm.
0: So- Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so it wasn't specifically about my coming out, but but anyway, so I came out when I was a sophomore in high school to friends, right? And Uh I came out as bi, right? To my family a year later. Mm. But so I came out at the age of 16. Yeah, Yeah, 16 to my friends and then to my family, like kind of around there, 16, 17 almost. Anyway, by senior year, Most of my friends knew that I was gay. Like everybody, you know, just accepted it and kind of moved on. My family still thought that I was bi, but like, that's a different Mm -hmm. story. Mm -hmm. But I remember I was involved in our GSA, which was then called a Gay-Straight Alliance. Now I believe it's called a Gender-Sexuality Alliance in high school. Anyway, I was involved in that club. And one of my uh, teachers, Mr. Brahm, Alexander Brahm. He was our sponsor for NHS and I was an NHS officer. Mm -hmm. And I remember him coming to me after uh, an officer's meeting one day in his classroom, you know, before school started. He was like, hey, so there's like this kind of like secret like meetup of like other gay students at school. Like, does this sound like something you would wanna do? And I was like, yeah, sure, like why not? And I remember Going into this program and, like, seeing all these other queer kids at school that I honestly didn't even know existed. Okay. (laughs) Because I was, like, the only one that was really out. Okay. And there was this facilitator that was brought in. Mr. Brom was, you know, sitting at his desk or whatever. And I remember us just going through, you know, different programming, different kind of exercises. Like, we did a mood board one day. One day we watched this documentary called The Bible Tells Me So, which is kind of about religion and, and, you know. Sexuality. Exactly, right. Uh And so we did different exercises throughout that. I had no idea at the time that it was a program of the Mantra Center. Oh. Yeah, and oh, wow. so it was okay. a program called Safe Zones. Uh-huh. And it wasn't until later when I was joining the Mantra Center <laughs> and I talked about <laughs> oh, this wow. program uh-huh. that my ex-boss Kennedy was like, that's one of our programs. <laughs> and I was like, so you mean to tell me that I participated in this program like when I was like, you know, 16, 17, 18, right? Uh, had no idea, right? Uh, uh, and I think for me, the biggest moment in kind of all of that one was being seen by other queer people, yeah and knowing that that was okay, uh, right? Like uh, it wasn't something that I had to hide. It wasn't something that I had to like be shameful of. like, we were all here together mm. to kind of celebrate and enjoy in our queerness mm. with one another. Mm. But then the other flip side of that was being seen by Mr. Brom, mm. right? Mm. Not that I really struggled with my sexuality. Like once I came out and I wasn't like bullied or anything, like I didn't have any of those kind of awful experiences that a lot of people have. Yeah. But just the fact that this, you know, cis straight white man mm-hmm. was approaching me and seeing that, you know, I was in need of that community Mm. and that I needed that connection, right? And saying, hey, we have this thing that I think that you would enjoy. Like, do you want to come be a part of it? Mm. And so I think for me, that was really kind of the first moment of really being seen and being heard Mm. for my gayness, but also Mm. just, you know, being able to be seen authentically as myself.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that. And without, without you even having to go, like, request it from him. Right. right. Like he sought you out. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. I'm glad you thought of that one. Okay. This is what I was going to ask you earlier was so you're talking about young Austin mm-hmm. not getting love, not deserving love, and sort of where you've ended up. Would you say you've experienced healing?
1: Yeah. I definitely would say so. It's a constant journey and it's a non linear process, right? Sure. That's one of the biggest things I've also learned over the last, you know, three years of therapy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would definitely say that I have healed. I've definitely dealt with a lot of, I think, emotional trauma that I Mm -hmm. have kind of packed in for so many years. And like, I've just started to really kind of, you know, give myself that hug and give myself that compassion and like being able to, you know, coddle little Austin and like give him the love and compassion that he deserves. Yeah. But you know, that being said, it's a constant journey, right? Like some days I feel really great about Mm. myself and Mm. I feel really confident in my abilities and Mm. like, I'm so like crushing it. And then other days, you know, I do have those intrusive thoughts Mm. that tend to win out in the inner dialogue. Right. And so, you know, it's a constant battle of trying to give myself that grace and that compassion. Mm. But yeah, I would definitely say that I'm, I'm, I'm moving along in the healing journey.
0: Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I would never purport to say that any of us ever like are healed. Right. Right. <laughs> right? And which I think and is. And you're done. Right. Yeah. You're cooked. You next. Yeah. Which I think can be actually like a barrier to the process. Right. Yeah. It's when you have a bad day thinking the thoughts that are usually included in that for me is like, oh, I actually haven't progressed, like all of those insights, mm-hmm. and the wins that I've had, like those didn't actually mean anything or else I wouldn't be experiencing this now.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was actually just talking to my therapist last night and I was I was telling him, you know, I had this really emotional episode and I just don't understand and I'm so frustrated. And he was like, well, why are you frustrated? I said, because I feel like I've done all of this work over the last couple of uh-huh. years, uh-huh. only just to let my emotions get the better of me. Yeah. And he was like, well, To me, it just sounds like you were really giving yourself what you needed, Mm. which is that you needed that space to cry. Mm. You needed that ability to let that out, right? Mm. You know, you see it as your emotions getting control of you, but I see it really as, like, the flip, right? Like, just allowing yourself to have what you need and being able to move on immediately after that, which is what you did. I was like, yeah. (laughs) 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 When
0: you put it that way. (laughs) Isn't that brilliant when somebody can take, like, this thing that you're sure is wrong, that you're sure it shouldn't be that way, and then, like, flip their, like, wisdom on it, and you're like... Okay, actually, it was probably perfect. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> that's exactly what I needed. Yeah, it's all about perspective, really. <laughs> yeah, 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 I love that. I love that. Oh, that's great. Is there anything else you want to say about that part of your journey, about rest and reflection? I mean, it's been great, right? There's nothing... Yeah. I just want to see if there's anything else there for you. No,
1: I would just say, you know, allow yourself that space to explore uh-huh. and allow yourself that ability to figure out what that looks like for you, both rest yeah. and reflection, right? Mm-hmm. Therapy is working for me, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's gonna work for everybody. Sure. Right. Reflection might, you know, look differently for everybody. Yeah. And so kind of play with that and explore what that means to you and what you really need yeah. to be able to actually recharge and ultimately get that rest.
0: Yeah. I love that. I, I love so I love because there is a big conversation, I feel like emerging in the world about therapy and sort of destigmatizing it, which I think is great. Right. And two things I want to, I think, are important to include in that. One is, and it might not be for you right now. Yeah. Right? There may be things that you're dealing with that, or, you know, you might not be ready, right? And that's okay, right? Like, no pressure to... To, to have that be the answer, right? Like, right. maybe you need to just start hanging out around a new group of people or, yeah. you know, or go for a walk or yeah. whatever. Right? Exactly. There's like so many access points. Yeah. And then the other thing, and you had it, it sounds like you had a little bit of this in your journey, but, you know, <laughs> therapy or finding a therapist is a lot or can be a lot like dating. Yes. Right. Like, you have to. I I just know so many people who have gone to a therapist, they didn't vibe, and they made it mean that therapy wasn't for them, right? When really it's like not all therapists are created equal, Mm -hmm. right? They all have different vibes, different approaches, and if if you think something is there for you with therapy, like if you are called to that in some way, when you start the process, know that you might have to go on a couple of dates, right? And that's gonna be, that could be a part of it.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, for me, yeah, I was kind of assigned that first therapist, right? Right. And worked with her and eventually got to the point where I was like, you know, this was really what I needed like a year ago. Uh But at this point, you know, a year in, This isn't really giving me what i need yeah and so yes i i did look for other therapists and like you know had conversations with some people Mm. eventually found one had our first session and he was the one right Mm. like he was the one that i stuck with (laughs) um i know it makes it sound like almost like i proposed right right? right, right, right. (laughs) no but like you know i had that first session with him and hadn't really gone to anybody else yet but after that first session i was like wow this one 50-minute session was infinitely more effective than the last year of therapy mm, mm, and so for me that was like really lucky but i know oh, be quiet siri <laughs> for me you know it was really lucky to have that kind of first experience but i know that that's not the same case for a lot of other of my friends yeah right they've had yeah. to kind of go through several different therapists to find the one yeah that they felt comfortable with yeah that they felt yeah. the connection with yeah
0: yeah and that can be tough to like kind of Kiss a bunch of frogs, as it were, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, when you when you do find the one, <laughs> it can be really worth it. Awesome, yeah. awesome, awesome, really cool. Okay, so uh, what's your favorite kind of cookie? <laughs> Oatmeal raisin. Really? Yeah, Oh my gosh, okay. there's there's a story behind
1: this. Okay, so (laughs) when I was younger, my grandmother on my mother's side absolutely adored her. Every Christmas, she would make oatmeal raisin cookies. And it's like, she would make these like huge platters that were probably like, you know, a foot and a half, two feet wide, and you know, by another foot, and just like a mound of cookies, right? And we would make like two, three, four of these for kind of our big family get togethers, and I would always help her with it. And within like an hour of everybody getting there, they were just gone, (laughs) right? And so for me, I associate that cookie Mm -hmm. with those memories Uh of her. It's like
0: nostalgic. Yeah,
1: yeah, but also like, you know, this woman that was so integral to my life and just like basically second mother to me, right? Yeah. So yes, people are usually surprised when I say oatmeal raisin. (laughs) And then they hear the story and they're like, "Okay, it that, that makes
0: sense." I totally get it. Yeah, I totally get it. Oh, that's great. Okay, cool. Anything that you wanna, you want uh, listeners to check out? Any requests? Anything like that?
1: Yeah. So I kind of mentioned this already, but I am currently president of the Houston LGBTQ Plus Political Caucus, mm-hmm. which is the South's oldest. LGBTQ plus civil rights organization. It's a nonpartisan organization that does try and strive to elect what we call pro equality candidates Mm -hmm. throughout the city, county, state, you know, uh, across the nation. And so that would be what I would to encourage people, listeners to check out. Yeah. Come to a monthly caucus meeting. We meet on the first Wednesday of the month at 7 p.m. There's okay. information on the website. Okay. Thecaucus.org. T H E C A U C U S okay. dot O-R G.
0: Put that in the show notes. Yeah,
1: yeah. But come to a meeting and, you know, be in community with us and And those are
0: open to the public. Yeah. Yeah. They're open okay. to
1: the public. If people want to join the organization and be a member, you can certainly do that. Okay. Um, but there's a lot of different entry points and access points. And mm-hmm. ultimately, again, what we're striving towards is making a more fair and equitable and equal city for everybody. Brilliant. So yeah, come check us out. The caucus, Houston LGBTQ+ Plus Political Caucus, first Wednesday of the month.
0: Cool. And allies are welcome? Yes, yes. Can yeah. you have a membership as an ally? Yes, yes. So we can. Don't, yes, we okay. don't discriminate.
1: Allies are certainly welcome. And I think now, even more so, you know, we do need our allies to participate in the fight, right? Yeah. Because of the way that Legislation has been passed across Texas, across the country, right? This is a fight that requires all of us, Mm. not just, you know, LGBTQ people, not just, you know, certain minority populations, not just, you know, gender diverse, right? It really requires everybody Mm. to be fully engaged. And so, Mm. yes, we absolutely welcome allies to be a part of the process and help us, you know, in this fight.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you. you So much. This is like exceeded my expectations well so. good i want you it to could. know i i i admire you a lot i really look up to you a lot for the ways that you're contributing to the city i'm glad you wound up in houston i'm glad you came back i'm glad you stayed so yeah, and then too. just thanks for doing this yeah thank you so much this is great yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to
1: you know continuing this fight for everybody it's
0: okay awesome thank, thank you. you all right y'all nathan here one more time thank you so much for listening. I hope this episode was valuable for you and really worth your time. If you'd like to get more inspiring content to empower you as a leader like this, please sign up for my bi-monthly newsletter by clicking the link in the show notes. You can also find me on LinkedIn by typing Nathan Harrington Coaching in the search bar. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please go and review it on whatever platform you listen to your podcast. Additionally, if you wouldn't mind, share this episode with one or two people in your life that you think it might make a difference for. Believe it or not, this type of thing really does make a difference for entrepreneurs like myself. Thanks again for being here, and I'll see you again next time for Listening to Leaders.